0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Be You Mum podcast. I'm Annie, mum, wife, nutritional therapist, music lover, and believer that animal print will never go out of fashion. I believe that we are at our most happiest and healthiest when all parts of ourselves are aligned and singing in harmony, the mind, body, heart, and spirit. For me, like most, motherhood has been life-changing it has opened up so many opportunities to learn more about myself and grow and become a better version of me and generally better human being. So this is what this podcast is all about. Conversations with awesome people who will inspire, inform and empower you to be more you at your brightest and best. Just like health and happiness, I believe there is no one-size-fits-all approach to motherhood. Learning to better understand, love and be yourself is one of the greatest gifts we can give our children. So I hope you will join me on this podcast journey of self-discovery, self-growth and self-love because when we connect with ourselves and step into our personal power, our mummy magic can truly shine. So please keep listening and remember, always be more you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the Be You Mum podcast with me, Annie Breen. This week, I'm talking all things children's health and nutrition. I am super excited and super honored to be speaking with Lucinda Miller. I'm sure you'll all agree as parents that we feel our most happiest and most calm selves when our families are happy and healthy. So who better to guide us through our children's nutrition and what can feel like a complete health maze and ongoing struggle at times than Lucinda Miller. First and foremost, Lucinda is a mum of three children. She is a naturopath, herbalist, iridologist and functional medicine practitioner with over 20 years experience. Lucinda has a deep passion for children's and family health and wellness and believes that health quite simply boils down to happiness, which totally aligns with my own beliefs and approach. Lucinda has a busy clinic in London and has a wonderful team of practitioners who work with her throughout the UK. As well as her clinical practice, Lucinda writes regular blogs that can be found on her website at naturedoc.com and is very active on social media. I really recommend you check out her account because the information she shares is really informative, up-to-date with the latest research and easy to digest, excuse the pun. She also shares lots of actionable steps and recommendations you can adopt into your own health and lifestyle. She also has an amazing cookbook out, The Good Stuff which has its pride and place in our kitchen and is now covered in food because we've used it so much. So I actually recorded this episode back in February and I have to say so much has changed and progressed in terms of my health and personal growth since then. I was really nervous but also as you'll probably hear from our discussion, much more in mum mode than nutritional therapist or podcast host. Our children's health is a number one priority but if we're not feeling great ourselves it can seem like a complete uphill struggle and induce a lot of anxiety. This is why I really wanted to pick Lucinda's brain because her approach is creative but simple and inclusive of the whole family. In this episode, we talk about so much. We start with Lucinda's journey of her own health and that of her free children and their individual struggles, which include a gastrointestinal imbalance and how they affected her son's behavior, impaired hearing and an underlying dairy intolerance in her daughter, and then her little boy who had terrible reflux that turned out to be pyloric stenosis and how they identified an underlying cow's milk protein allergy. We discuss the common health presentations that Lucinda sees in her clinic, which include children with learning difficulties, neurological issues, autism, ADHD, behavioural issues, as well as chronic gut, skin and respiratory um, conditions. Lucinda shares how she has found that with pretty much all these conditions, there is some underlying gut issue. We then go in to talk a little bit further about the merging field of gut health and the microbiome and the role that inflammation can play in chronic health conditions. Lucinda uses the term kids with starving brains and explains how inflammation can prevent the extraction of nutrients efficiently from the food that we're feeding our children. We also discuss fussy eating and how there is usually some kind of underlying sore gut issue. So for all of you out there with children or planning a family, or maybe you work with children and families, this episode is for you. The knowledge and wisdom Lucinda shares is incredibly valuable, and I know you'll get as much out of it as I did. So without further ado, let's get into episode two.
1: So Welcome. It's lovely to be here, Annie, this afternoon and to meet you and to you know, talk to you about family health. Oh, amazing. I'm really excited. And
0: I just wonder, Lucinda, if you could start by talking or giving us a little bit more information about you and your story and how you got into um, health and wellness and nutrition and functional medicine.
1: Yeah well um I was a pretty healthy child um other than being plagued by tonsillitis and ear infections I did pretty well and it was really only when I was at university that I uh, started to get very very tired I'd sleep through almost every lecture and uh, which was Actually, it sounds really strange, but it didn't bother me that much because I kind of just got on with it. And I assume that was just me. I think before the Internet, we just had no one really to discuss it with. And my mother didn't seem to think there was anything wrong. Um, and so but this continued when I started working and I had quite a high pressure job in the city. Um, and I'd literally be fast asleep on the tube both ways and in the loo a couple of times during the day. And there was one moment where I got to stage where I just sort of melted down in front of my boss because I was just feeling so ill all the time. So he sent me off to the company doctor. He said I was just fine, didn't offer any solutions whatsoever, told me just to get on with it. Um, And it was just a lovely, lovely lady on the desk who said to me, you know what, there's a sweet, sweet person in Chiswick that you should go and see because she'll sort you out. So I thought there's no harm. I didn't really know what she was going to do. So I went along and she told me to eat more nutritious food, to cut out wheat, Um, she did a lot of work on my gut and my liver and guess what within 10 days I felt absolutely magic I had all the energy back that I'd been craving for years and it was I wasn't sort of not going out or anything like that I wasn't living the perfect life and I had to be at my desk by quarter to seven in the morning so you know it it really really transformed my life so um, I didn't love my job so Anyway, and I'd been sort of thinking about other options, and this just really grabbed me. It's something that had always, always wanted to do. So I kind of basically went back to the follow-up, and instead of having to have more help, I said, where the heck do I learn this? I'd love to do this. And um, so she gave me two numbers and I rang them both and one didn't call back and the other did. So and that's the course I went with because, of course, there was only yellow pages in those days um, and no Internet, as I said. So it was my only option. So I studied at the weekends and loved it. Um, And then, you know, within a few years, I became a mum, and I realized really quickly that there was so little information on how to bring up children what to feed them how to help them with their health and um, yeah it, it was extraordinary but you know I sort of soldiered on with the things I could find and to do and I had you no, I loved being a mom. It was absolutely fantastic. But I had to really learn myself what to do through trial and error. There was very little information, as I said. So, um, and actually my son, um, he had lots of gut issues. But again, the doctors weren't that concerned. For instance, there was one day where he was sitting in his bouncy chair and I heard this sort of explosion. Oh, no. <laughs> And the nappy, I mean, literally the poo went everywhere. It was awful. Of course, the doctor said, well, there's no blood, there's no mucus. He doesn't have an underlying medical condition. Um, Just get on with it. That's motherhood. Um, But this sort of continued for a long time, and there was no real help given. And in fact, then things turned the other way when he was about two and a half. And we had about five, six days where he hadn't done a poo. And he was starting to gag on the food he was eating. So um, actually my husband took him off to A&E they did an X-ray and he was absolutely stuffed with poo. Mm -hmm. So their option was to give laxatives, which did give him some relief, but we felt it wasn't the underlying cause. You know, as I said, he'd had this diarrhea for years and then suddenly he was having constipation and we just felt something was out of whack. But there was so little known about the gut in those days. and it's such an emerging um, health. I mean, the the medics are looking in this big time, almost every week there's a new paper coming out about the microbiome. So I really wish that I had known and had more information about gut health when he was a baby, because actually if I could have sorted it out when he was tiny, he really wouldn't have suffered so much because in fact, we never we, it, we took several years to overcome his gut issues. And what's really interesting is that we discovered at that time um, was that there was a big connection between the gut and the brain. And in fact, he was really struggling with his coordination, with his behavior, with his sociability. And in fact, what was really fascinating was once we cleared the constipation, he was in such great mood and he was feeding better. And again, his um, learning and his behavior improved. So we saw a great connection in that. And there was one day where he woke up and he said, "Mummy, my brain's not playing hide and seek anymore. I can concentrate. Wow. And he, yeah, it was really, really amazing moment. So I, you know, that was my son. And then I had a daughter um, who actually very simple, but um, at her eight months checkup, she had a hearing test and they said, she can't hear very well, but let's just wait until another six months and then we'll get concerned. So all they wanted to do was just to wait and see. And I thought, this is such a crucial time for a child to be able to hear, to develop language, sociability. And so in fact, I went to see an osteopath the next day and he did some cranial osteopathy And he said, look, she's got a very red little nose and bright red cheeks and a very sniffly nose. Is this all the time? I said, yes, it is rather. So, well, why don't you swap to goat's milk? And we did that. And within 24 hours, she could hear her name, which is a very soft name. It's Lara, which is very soft. Mm -hmm. She'd always been able to hear sort of things like no, but this is the first time she turned her head for her name. So that was a pretty remarkable moment. Um, and then my little one, um, he had awful, awful, well, we just thought it was just reflux. It was a sort of projectile vomiting when he was tiny. And in fact, it turned out to be a medical condition called pyloric stenosis, where you have a stuck, um, the valve at the bottom of your stomach is, is very tight. So he's unable to allow the milk to go through to the rest of the digestive tract. So he did need a little operation. But even after that, he wasn't being sick across the room but it was just coming dribbling down in 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 sort of puddles and um, it turned out that he had a milk protein allergy and so he did need to go on specialist formula because even my breast milk he wasn't coping with very well and it transformed his life you know he was suddenly growing he was thriving Um, and then we found an amazing milk because after he was about a year I thought I don't like this formula very much it's quite chemical does he really need to be on this so I sort of red and red and red and I found out about buffalo milk and we had a local farm and I just thought well let's give this a go because the downside was he'd be sick and have diarrhea for two days so I just thought okay that might happen but let's give it a go and we gave it to him and he loved it it's creamy and delicious and he was absolutely fine his gut was fine he wasn't sick and in fact he just seemed to be glowing he seemed to be really healthy even healthier than he was and he called it Gruffalo milk, which is absolutely <laughs> adorable. So he was on Gruffalo milk for years. And, but um, actually at about three, his gut sort of matured and we did do a lot of probiotics and gut healing foods and so forth in between. But by about three, he was able to tolerate all milk and he's great with dairy now, which is really cool. Cause I have this fear of having to exclude foods. So I just think a natural food is so nutritious. And um, there's a reason for us all to, to eat and drink these foods And there are um, schools of thought. Some people say dairy is not very good or, you know, we didn't always have it. But, you know, there's always been a goat, whether you're in India, in Israel, in the UK, there was always a goat to hand just in case. So I do feel that animal milk was consumed by babies for centuries Um, and, you know, an important part of the growing child. So I was thrilled that we were able to get something in him that was more natural.
0: Amazing. I love the gruffalo milk story and feel the same about consuming a variety of natural foods and not removing food groups. I think your stories, yours and your children's, demonstrated this beautifully, that foods can be... Um, certainly triggers to underlying problems or imbalances, but not necessarily the cause. And more often than not, it comes back to the gut, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail, especially during the early years, considering it takes around two years uh, for a baby's gut to mature and develop. So thank you so much for sharing your experiences. I'm sure there will be so many parents listening who these experiences um, will resonate with. So um, it would be really interesting, Lucinda, to hear you've got a busy clinic in London to hear what sort of cases you're being presented with um, day in, day out. What are some of the patterns and familiar kind of health conditions or complaints you're seeing um, in children?
1: So we see a really wide range of children. Um, We actually run clinics all the way around the country. So even though London was the original clinic, we've now got sort of seven satellite clinics around the country. Um, And um, typically, we see a lot of kids with learning difficulties, behavioural problems, um, quite a lot of neurological issues like autism, ADHD, etc. And in equal amounts, we're also seeing kids with chronic gut issues, skin issues, asthmas, etc. Um, so it's, but what's very interesting with pretty much all of those, there is some underlying gut issue. And sometimes it's very obvious. So it's diarrhea, it's constipation, it's bloating, it's reflux, it's um, fussy eating. Now, I just wanted to note. Fussy eaters usually have a sore gut, full stop. That's what we find in our clinic. Um, but there's generally something going on. Occasionally, what we find is there's nothing obvious going on in the gut. So there's no pain um, or obvious issues. The poo look fairly normal. But when you do a stool test, we find that the gut is very depleted of very important beneficial bacteria and overgrown by Unwanted bacteria. So the things that could disrupt that's very careful balance in the gut Um, But we and what happens there is so often there's underlying Inflammation of some sort. So even though it's not massively painful when you actually do an abdominal um, Check you often find there's a little bit of the gut. That's a bit sore or quite a lot of the gut that's a bit sore when you press it, but they've got so used to it It's become their norm that they're unable to express that. And obviously we see a lot of kids that don't speak, the autistic kids often don't speak or can't really express what's going on. So again, we can look in their eyes and see if they wince a little bit when you're touching that area or they don't want you to touch that bit. Um, So that's really important too. Um, And so if there is underlying inflammation, um, then often they're not able to extract efficiently the nutrients from the food they're eating so there's a line I give about these kids quite a lot which is called kids with starving brains so even if their parents are giving the best diet ever and they're eating lots of veggies and meat and eggs and milk and whatever it might be if there's something going on in that gut that is not allowing their body to extract those nutrients efficiently then they're going to get shortfalls so they could be eating plenty of fish with omega-3 or plenty of spinach with iron but they could still be um, anemic for instance yeah uh, because their gut's not doing the right job yeah absolutely and I think you know something that I
0: hear quite a lot Bonnie's two and a half but fussy eating is almost written off as being normal isn't it they'll grow out of it and It's quite reassuring, but also a bit disempowering as a parent to hear that. And you're just kind of waiting for them to grow out of it. And I also, just speaking from my experience as well, I was very depleted. I mean, I suppose who isn't? And I work with a lot of mums that suffer with depletion or maternal mental health. And I think um, for me, just speaking from my experience, that I did develop these kind of safety behaviours to um, avoid picking your battles or i pit my battles as um, me- mechanisms to survive and if Bonnie wasn't going to eat some of those things and I knew it would end up in a food on the floor and I'd try and keep stress reduced around meals but I would actually just give her what I knew she would eat um, because I knew that it would then avoid ending up in that kind of stressful food everywhere and both of us not in a happy mood. Um, But you do hear that quite a lot, don't you? That it's quite normal and they grow out of it. And what you were telling me about the gut and the underlying inflammation, potentially, there's a reason why. It's not just that that they're being difficult.
1: I often find, I mean, obviously we're seeing the kids in the clinic where the parents have tried everything. They've done, you, you know, they've tried the usual suspects of, you know, sneaking veg in or or trying, you know, with stickers or any kind of incentive, you know, they've tried everything and it hasn't happened, um, or they've just got the sixth sense. You know, the child is really gagging when they're eating, or they have a significant um, tummy issue straight after, or whatever it might be. And I think, you know, I we don't see just people who say, "Oh, they're a bit of a fussy eater." I think we're seeing kids with more significant issues. Mm. But what we find is that so often, if you can get their gut more healthy, then they do present differently. A big nutrient that a lot of kids are very low in is zinc. So, um, you know, you get zinc in vegetables, you get it in milk, you get it in eggs. And a lot of kids are, say, allergic to dairy or eggs, so they can't have that. And they often are not, you know, the child gets a shortfall. And of course, when you're low in zinc, you get this altered sense of taste and smell so that you're less likely to want to have interesting food and you're more likely to want beige food. So very often zinc deficiency is the underlying issue. And the interesting thing is that zinc is very important for gut health. Um, It actually helps to heal the gut and helps the gut to mature. And very often Um, We find that the kids that are low in zinc are the small kids because you need zinc to grow as well. So zinc's a key one. But the other thing which is important is zinc helps you think. It's really important for the brain and it's important for the immunity. So if you've got a kid that's little, sniffling all the time, a little bit behind with their speech or their development, fussy eater, it could be that it's zinc. But it also could be that because of the underlying gut issue, they've become deficient in zinc. So sometimes it's almost like the child's going downhill slowly. People often say, well, they were very good as a baby. And then they're, they sort of get, they're, they're getting eating less and less foods. It's getting narrower and narrower. And that can be where the zinc deficiency is almost taken over from the gut issue. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I see that kind of chicken and egg that... Um, some of the reasons why that maybe children aren't eating is because they have got altered taste, they've got nutrient deficiencies, but then to get the food in. Um can be difficult because that's a result of, or maybe like you said, the gut just isn't working well, it's inflamed and it's not absorbing, it's not extracting everything from the food. So just Mm -hmm. to go over, I mean, you did touch on some signs and symptoms then. If children, uh, sorry, not children, what would parents be looking out for in their children if they could have some imbalances in in the gut or some inflammation?
1: Okay, so gut signs are simple things. So from the top, we've got bad breath, without them being unwell so we all i think most kids get a slightly bad breath if they're coming down with something and i always could tell if my children were going to be ill because they'd wake up in the morning with bad breath so that was sort of my sign but if it's there all the time and they've got good oral hygiene then that could be something going on in the gut hiccuping all the time or burping all the time for no reason um A very bloated tummy. So obviously, tiny, tinies have this lovely little pot belly. But after about two, it should pretty much go flat. So if it's turning up like a sort of football by the end of the day, then something's going on. Another thing is um, very smelly wind. Babies and toddlers shouldn't have smelly wind obviously there's going to be a slight smell to the poo. So if they're having wind just before they poo, that's slightly different. But if they're trumping all day, with smelly, smelly trumps, then there's something going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then equally looking at the nappies. Mm -hmm. Now um, a nappy by about 12 months should be brown formed. You should be able to roll a poo off into the loo without it being too dirty on the nappy. Now, if it's all squidgy or it's lots of little tiny conkers or even little sort of rabbit droppings, then there's something going on. Um, So that's quite a good benchmark. The other thing is if you're seeing whole food or the poo is turning to the color of the food they're eating, then their gut is quite underdeveloped and may need more help. We often see this in the weaning phase. So I would say that first few days of weaning, if, you know, the poo's coming out, the the carrot color of the carrot that's going to be normal because the gut isn't used to digesting that um but further you know slightly further on um you if you've got spinach colored poos and then orange colored carrot colored poos and so forth then that means that they're not extracting the nutrients the goodness from the food Almost every child will have something like sweet corn or even uh, tomato skins, things like that. Raisins often come through as well. So don't worry about those so much. But if you're seeing other foods coming through, then maybe they need to be cooked a bit longer, mashed up, made a bit softer, easier to digest. Maybe it's a sign that they're they're eating slightly too more grown-up food, I guess I'd say. Uh, Maybe you just need to slow up a bit and make everything a bit smoother and a bit softer.
0: That's so helpful because I I know that we, we stand there and we think what is normal? Like, is that normal for my child? Is that okay? So I think that's just really, really helpful to know symptoms of
1: possible gut dysfunction. So thank you for sharing that. And can I just interject one thing before we move on to the next subject is that if you ever see blood or mucus, in the poo it is very important to see a doctor because that could be some significant gut inflammation. Um, the doctors are really only looking for that or if the child is not growing. So most other things they're going to slightly leave and wait and see and that's where a naturopath or a nutritional therapist can help more
0: yeah definitely that's so important to know and um, as you know I'm actually doing a comprehensive stool analysis with Bonnie because I'm just so interested it's such a easy intervention to get so much information isn't it and just to see how things really are going and then you can intervene quite early but also more targeted to what she what she needs so yeah that's so important thank you for that and I was reading in your book, you've got some really interesting, quite scary statistics about the increase of like mental health in children, um, depression, mm. anxiety, early teens, but also this obesity and diabetes kind of is, is on the rise. And I see this in adults as well, that we're kind of inflamed and depressed and anxious. So what what are you sort of seeing? We've talked about the early days and um, gut dysfunction, but if this is left unnoticed or not dealt with and I believe that it's always you it's never too late you can always intervene once you know what you're looking for and you've got some support but what sort of progression of illness are you seeing maybe later on and um yeah what are you seeing more of
1: so I think a lot of these issues are triggered by some sort of underlying inflammation inflammation um, is basically everyone thinks about a sort of headache or a sore ankle, um, so that's acute inflammation where you've hurt yourself. But a chronic inflammation is where you don't necessarily feel pain, but it over months and years there's a progression in the body which can then start misfiring, leading to diabetes, cardiovascular disease, but even depression as well. So um, what we need to do is to look at the sort of pathways to why that inflammation is occurring one of the big things is um if you eat ultra processed foods so that's convenience foods made by the supermarkets um so we're looking at anything in a packet really unless you can look at the ingredients say oh i could cook that at home but if you've got 25 ingredients and 12 of those are food are things you've never heard of are chemicals then they're not going to be doing the body any good and the body gets confused and it starts misfiring because it doesn't quite know what to do with these things because they're not real foods the second thing which can drive information is not having enough fruits and vegetables um so this is why i know it's hard with little ones to get them to eat these. And so this is why you have to be very cunning, clever, whether you're getting a courgette in the brownies or carrots in the waffles or sweet in the mash, you know, you're trying to build up different things to make things more diverse, more healthier. Um, Things like lots of water, very important. And of course, lots of kids live off juice or or cordials. And actually it's trying to get them back to just having simple water or even milk, but just not the sweet stuff. lack of sleep is a massive driver of inflammation. And um, now there's always a reason why a child won't sleep, you know, and it's finding out what that might be. Um, We usually find it's some underlying gut pain, probably triggered by a food intolerance or allergy. Um, And that's what we find most of the time in our clinic. I don't say that that's always. Obviously, little kids do have little nightmares and there's teething and there's all those sort of factors. But if it's continuing and you really can't find a solution, then to think about a food allergy or intolerance. I mean, we've had transformations where we've discovered it's dairy and they've come off the dairy and literally that night they have slept for the first time in three years. And you just go, oh my gosh, I mean, poor parents, they've been sleep sleep deprived for so long and what a simple intervention to make. Um, And yeah, no, so it can be life transforming. And of course, when you are allergic to something, what happens when you're allergic to something? You get a rash, you get swelling. Now, even with food intolerances, you're getting a low grade inflammation going on. And if you're continuing to have that food every single day, the body's going to build up that inflammation more and more and more. And this is the sort of thing that can drive these more chronic, significant issues like the diabetes, like the cardiovascular disease, but even drive obesity. Obesity in itself is inflammatory, but also it can lead to inflammation too. So it's one of those sort of, again, chicken and egg things that um, you have to watch out for. Um, I mean, some kids are going to be on the bigger side, you know, if you look at their genetics, but if they don't match your family, then you do need to be a little bit, you know, just work out what to do. And it's often boils down to the gut. The gut flora is such a big thing when it, there's something called acomancia. Have you heard of these? Yeah. 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 So when you, when you don't eat for a while, so for instance, overnight, when your child is not eating, their body, their little guts are producing something called achamansia, and that helps to control your weight so if you 've got the kids that are snacking all day and never having a break in between meals then it's very hard for the achamansia to work so um, so it's important to try and get your kids now I know when they're tiny they will need snacks in between but to try and structure their meal times so that they are eating properly three times a day they might have two snacks in between because they 're tiny but to Eventually move to that model of having three meals a day, um, and just getting them really wholesome, and really filling, and probably more than you'd normally expect. But then not to have these snacks in between, because some kids are grazing all day, yeah. literally all day, and they live off rice cakes and things and never sit down for a proper meal, mm. and that's not great for the long term. And it, you know, it's it can be hard to break that pattern, and that's partly what we do in the clinic is to help break that pattern. Amazing yeah it's a,
0: it's a lot of challenges isn't it to the digestive system and I see that in, in myself that I know I've got a few things going on in the gut a few imbalances and um, if I don't sleep my gut feels so much worse, but also I wake up around that time, I think in traditional Chinese medicine, they say around three to six is when the gut regenerates and the liver regenerates. And we know that sleep is our biggest healing tool and the body repairs. And I also know that it's one of us mums and dads biggest challenges with children as well, isn't it? Um, Definitely. And So that's amazing. So if, if a food intolerance or an infection in the gut could be the cause, um, and, and mums and dads have been suffering um, for some time. What do you suggest? I mean, it could be you, you try taking the food out, but can you do tests to check this
1: out? So there is no gold standard test, okay? we ca- You cannot just, even if you chucked thousands of pounds at it, you would not definitively know whether your child was allergic or intolerant to a food. So the doctors will do an elimination diet now a lot of parents are quite reluctant to do that because it literally means you're building up from sort of lamb and pear and rice all the way through and because your child could be allergic to anything i mean we i'm not we had someone on tuesday i think he was allergic highly anaphylactic to 42 foods wow i know horrendous and so you know i know how complicated it can be so it's very hard to know what to do and to do that with a child especially if they've never eaten lamb and don't like pear you know it's hard so um, what we often do is say right well let's do a test and they range from I think sort of around 120 pounds upwards depending on how many foods you're testing and you sort of look at the sensible so what do they normally eat and if they normally sort of eat bread and yogurt and things you're not going to do the test for the fancy things like avocado and asparagus because they have never really eaten that so you're only going to check the things that you know they're eating And uh, there's something called a food complement test, which is the sort of new wave of testing, which is a little bit more accurate, they feel, than the background intolerance test. So it's sort of the new wave of of testing, which we feel is a little bit more accurate. Because there were some of these tests that were coming back and they were sort of, again, reactive to so many different foods and people didn't know where to start. It was too overwhelming. But this seems to... So the FIT test is the food inflammation test. It just checks what is causing inflammation. And actually at the end of the day, it's so it's not what you're eating, it's more what you're reacting to. And I find that quite a helpful test. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we do do that sometimes because the parents just want to have something on paper. Um, But we'll also suggest, for instance, that they do see their GP and they do have, say, a celiac test done just in case before they embark on one of these big exclusion diets um, and actually find its gluten and then have to go back to having it for six weeks before they can do the celiac test. So it's best to see the GP first. And we encourage that. And we do the basics, like we try and get the GP to do iron levels and vitamin D and so forth. But they're getting a little bit more and more reluctant. I think the funds are very tight right now. Um, So we can do them privately. So, you know, if, if we need to do them, we will. Um, and sometimes you know they reveal the issue it's something basic like anemia yeah amazing I think
0: um it just helps doesn't it sometimes getting to the root cause because you just don't know where to start and it can be quite overwhelming and if you've suffered or your child suffered for so so long um I think they're really great for just fast tracking that um, So what would you say then, um, some realistic kind of tools and advice for parents to maybe overcome some of the things that we've talked about, but it seems to always come back to the gut and inflammation, that is never a bad place to start. What would you um, suggest a a few tips? In terms of where to start yes yeah, So supporting um the identifying possible imbalances but then we've talked about the testing but also foods and i'm just thinking with fussy eating as well um mm. what would be some tips and your book's amazing i love the mantra can i just read the mantra out in here because i love it um you've mm-hmm. put home cooked is best Love that. Avoid processed foods, which we've just talked about a little bit. And I always say, you know, some of those ingredients I can't even say. So, you know, (laughs) um, introduction or introduce more fruit and veg. And you've got some amazing little tools on how to do that or tips. Make it tasty. Really good one. Um, And variety sows the seeds for a healthier life. So I absolutely love that. And I just wondered for for a parent starting out, so they've they've not really... um, they're at the beginning of their journey of maybe looking into more a nutrition and lifestyle approach. What would you suggest? And they're really struggling with us eating, you know, that classic kind of picture, mum's eating one thing, dad's late eating something else. For child. <laughs> you know what it's like. How, because what I love about your book is you bring it all together. So what would you suggest to someone in that sort of situation?
1: Well, I'm going to bring up a story of actually one of my son's friends um, and the three boys and the mum was, tearing her hair out because there wasn't one meal they'd all eat they all terribly fussy and I said try my waffles and these are carrot and poppy seed waffles and she just sent me the most joyous photo of them all tucking in and she said this is the first time in years my boys have all eaten the same thing so what I say in my clinic um, and also to you know my mum's on Instagram etc is say what do they eat So they say, okay, they do eat chicken nuggets, all right? So I say, okay, so they really like crunchy, they really like beige. So what I want you to do is I want you to get the best quality chicken you can, so free range or organic, and maybe use the chicken thighs rather than the breast because that's got more iron in it. And then I want you to make your own. Now, they love love beige, they love crunchy. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna get some ground almonds, some parmesan and some lemon and we're going to grate that lemon really really fine so they can't even see it and then we're going to make your own chicken nuggets okay so in there you've got so much nutrition and it's tasty and it's crunchy and they normally go oh my god they just ate that i said yep so we've had no white flour we've had none of these processed additives and colors and weird things we've all just got a lovely healthy beige nugget so they start with that and then maybe they'll make my homemade ketchup which seems to be incredibly popular it's literally sweetened with a tiny bit of honey it's got a bit of apple cider vinegar which is important for the gut it's got some lovely spices which are naturally sweet and so they dip that in the homemade ketchup so they've suddenly got chicken and ketchup and then we go, OK, so they love that. Now, what about waffles? As I said, the carrot and poppy seed waffles are really popular because kids do. So they're really wary of anything that's not beige. Um, so you're going for the so if you look in the book carefully, you'll see most of the photos have beige food in them, but they're just made to look really rather beautiful uh, by the photographers. So I'd be very careful about that and pancakes as well. So the pancakes have got yogurt and milk and eggs. They've got buckwheat in there. They've got all this nutritious food in there. Whereas if you buy pancakes, it's got white flour, vegetable oil, maybe some sort of partially hydrolyzed egg or something i mean it's really you know not when you look at the ingredients there's nothing good in there but if you make them yourself the kids will love it and even to begin with if they have to put lots of maple syrup or honey on it that's okay you know don't beat them up for that just make sure they like it and it was one of the reasons why actually my recipes have a reasonable amount of sugar I'm going to put that in brackets because there's honey and maple syrup and things rather than white sugar in there. Because I realise that kids do like things that are a little bit sweet and it does make a massive difference to whether I accept it or not. But there's an important chapter, well, it's a paragraph just before the recipes, which explains that with all these recipes, if every time you make them, you reduce the sugar by f- five to 10 grams, which is basically one to two teaspoons, it's not very much. But each time you do that, they will be slightly less sweet. But because they're so used to, they get oh, I love those muffins or I love those pancakes. They won't notice. And it, they'll slowly, slowly bring their sugar levels down. But there is no point trying to get a child to have a sugar free everything straight off when they're used to having this really refined food. So what the manufacturers do is they do, they make a product with several types of sugar. So when you look, you can only see one word, which is sugar, but they've got fructose and they've got all these added and and starches and things like that, that act on the body like sugar. And they make sure that they have flavorings in there that tingle the tongue and the brain to make sure they really are super tasty So we are in a real battle because, of course, the convenience foods do taste amazing because the chemists have learnt how to make that food superly, superly yummy. So with the homemade food, you do need to work a little bit harder. So it might be a tiny bit of salt or a tiny bit of sugar in there just to enhance it to begin with until their palates have changed. And then their palates will slowly become less needing of that sugar. And that's where you slowly bring the levels down.
0: I have never heard it be explained like that. And I think that's amazing. It makes so much sense and just reducing it as time goes on, once they love it, that's brilliant advice. Um, and you wouldn't know there's a courgette in your muffins.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, those muffins are probably the most popular. I've been sent hundreds of photos of the muffins. They're blueberry and banana muffins, and they've got a courgette in there. And um, yeah, and, and they're just so nutritious and yummy and light. And you can do them egg-free, you can do them dairy-free, you can do them gluten-free. So with all the key allergens, what we've done is we've done a, I've, I've made a swap. And that's actually the thing that took me the longest time there was a hilarious day when I was making the courgette brownies. Well, I don't know how many batches I made, but I obviously had to do egg free. I had to do a dairy free version. I had to do a gluten free version. And then I did a nut free version. And then I had to make, you know, it's a dairy, egg, gluten and nut free just to sort of see if it all worked. And it was about 830 at night. And my husband said, is there any food for me tonight? And I said, well, about 300 brownies. <laughs> I said, I just can't face doing any more cooking. Do you mind? (laughs) It was just hilarious. But so we really worked hard on that. And what's lovely is I've had brilliant feedback on on the free from versions too, because actually that's the hardest thing. I think parents get really stressed about what they can give their child when they do have an allergy and intolerance or an autoimmune disease, which means that they can't have various things. And um, just to have that, ah, moment. Where they found over 100 recipes which their child can eat. Uh, totally. And, you know, I will say your book is so
0: informative. It's not just a cookbook, it explains all these things really simply, easy to understand. Um, and like I said before, the whole family can eat these meals. They're lovely. And you've got menu plans in there as well, which I think we struggle with. And just by giving ourselves a little bit of time and going through the book and, and putting that time and prep in at the beginning of the week or whenever you do it, I think that's also so helpful. And once you've got everything in the house and then I, Bonnie helped me make those muffins. She helps me make the pancakes. Um, yeah, it does cause a mess, but you know, it's fun. So uh-huh. I just, I just, um, It's so informative. I really encourage everyone to buy it and try the recipes. And thank you for sharing that about the sugar. That makes a lot of sense. So I just wanted to ask, um, this has all been so amazing, so informative, so helpful. Are there any more words of wisdom you'd like to share with our audience or parents to um, support their kind of wellness journey and uh, achieve happiness and health within the whole family unit?
1: I guess I've just seen so much disharmony and upset and emotional just horrendous stories in the clinic and I just would never want any family to go through that so I just think my sort of I guess words of wisdom are use your mother's instinct if you feel something is wrong with your child whether it's their mood whether it's their eating whether it's their sleeping or their gut then do seek advice. Now, obviously, see your doctor first because they need to rule out a medical condition. But most of the time, they will say your child is fine and they'll grow out of it or come back in six months if they're still having these issues. Um, And that's what's so frustrating about the NHS system. But remember, they are only looking after our medical needs, not our wellbeing needs. And one day, they may be able to do this, but they are there to help you out of a big big situation and to prevent significant illness being spread around the greater population as well Um, so if you do have a niggle then find someone else that might be able to help and that could be a osteopath it could be a naturopath it could be a nutritional therapist whoever you really feel might be able to help ask your friends go on instagram read blogs just learn about your child's particular issues talk to the other mummies and you will find someone because there's always someone that can help and you know it may not be the first person that can help but they might know someone else that can help and it's just analyzing when did my child change what's been the circumstances what what is the presentation and then eventually you can get there. Some kids can't be helped, they really can't, but most can. At least you can make progress with them and at least you can be empowered. Because I think little things like getting their diet right, getting their sleep routine right, um, just creating greater happiness within the home and making harmony just changes everyone's lives. I mean, the number of mums who could go back to work if their kids were well would be fantastic. And I think prevention is so important because I just see where the inflammation has gone wrong, where people haven't trusted their instinct and have let things go for too long. And it's turned into much greater, bigger things that are really hard to change. Yeah, totally.
0: That's such good advice and really trusting our gut um, again at the end of the day. And I think that's what I love about the work that you do and, You know, nutrition and and lifestyle medicine, we're really empowering that person to then go away and heal using what they cook in their kitchen and how they are within their home. So it gives you so many different tools that you can take away and then support that kind of healing journey with your family. So thank you for sharing that. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And I just love it if you could tell everyone where we can find you if we want to check out more about what you do and
1: buy your book uh annie it's been an absolute delight to talk to you today i've loved every minute uh to find us at nature doc um we have two websites nature doc clinic and nature doc shop um and um, then i'm on instagram at nature doc kids and facebook and twitter um so it'd be lovely to hear from you all and uh, join my journey
0: Ah, oh, amazing thank you so much and thanks for your time lucinda it's been awesome. Thank you everyone for listening. If you would like to find out more or get in contact with Lucinda, I have put the link to her website in the show notes as well as her social media platforms. If you enjoyed the show, please let me know. And if you're feeling super inspired and generous, please leave me a review. I have a community for mums and mums-to-be on Facebook. It's called the Bu Mum community, which I set up for women on their motherhood journeys. To get inspired informed and empowered to reconnect with their health at a mind body heart and soul level so please do come along and join to continue the conversation spread the love and share your magic thank you